Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. So if you'd stand for it, it comes from Isaiah chapter 35, and it's verses, uh, all of chapter 35, but panic not, it's only 10 verses. So Isaiah 35, I'll begin at the first verse, I'll read all 10. Page 713. If you'd like to follow along. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will shout, it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The clean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Isaiah is an interesting book in the Bible because it seems to address three different eras of Israel's history spanning a total of about 200 years. And in each of those eras, there's kind of a repeated theme that goes something like this. There's this failure to trust God by the people of God, by Israel. And this failure to trust God brings on difficulty and brings on trouble. And then comes this season where it seems as though God has abandoned his people. And then it morphs to this time, this era, this period where even in the sense of abandonment, God continues to remind the people that he can be trusted to eventually deliver and restore. And eventually he does come and he delivers and restores. So more simply, it's kind of a pattern of sin and then the consequences of sin. And then these words of hope brought on eventually by restoration. And these wonderfully hopeful words from our scripture reading were written to actual people who were living at the time in the southern kingdom of Israel, and they were living at a particular historical time, and this pattern I just mentioned was unfolding yet again. God has been rejected by the people. He has not been trusted by this southern kingdom. And now the Assyrian army is on the doorstep of an invasion. It's around 705 B.C., somewhere in that neighborhood. So for the people that were reading these words from Isaiah 35, disaster was imminent, trouble was on the horizon, and Isaiah speaks these words of hope 
right into the uncertainties and the fears of these very real people. Again, there's this strange aspect of the Bible where right at the point where it looks like all hope is lost, here comes this word from God speaking hopeful and shalom words to this desperate group of people. And Isaiah here describes the goodness God will eventually bring out of all this hardship. To repeat part of Isaiah 35, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. So here are these people facing a crisis in the midst of difficulty, facing this dark period in their history. And Isaiah brings a message about the sweeping restoration and wholeness God will eventually bring to those who are currently living in brokenness and currently living in fracture. And so Isaiah is talking about the Hebrew idea known as shalom. It translates to our word peace. And it might be one of the most important words and one of the most important concepts in the entire Bible. A future of shalom for those who are currently in the midst of anti-shalom. A future where God restores and brings wholeness and goodness spoken to a people who are staring across their border at the powerful Assyrian army. I can't think of a more timely topic to consider on this third Sunday of Advent, given the splintering state of our world. A future of shalom for those who are currently in the midst of anti-shalom. I'm going to read from devotional number 85 in Eugene Peterson's book, Every Step and Arrival. You may know this is the title of our series because we're basing the series on Peterson's book. And today's message is based on devotional number 85. And before I read this, I'd like for you to think about the current circumstances of your life and where you see difficulty in your life or you feel difficulty or you see trouble on the horizon or you feel trouble or you see a lack of wholeness in yourself or a lack of goodness or you can see it in an important relationship in your life or you can see it in the society, in the world, maybe in our country, and it weighs on you and it grieves you. I'd like us to think about where life isn't working or where something in us isn't working the way it was intended to work. And listen to these words of Eugene Peterson against the backdrop of our own real-time brokenness and imperfections and troubles. His words will be on the screen. He writes, Every tragedy that we experience will finally become a triumph. Every deficiency in our ability to see or hear or walk or speak will be cured by grace. Everything in our bodies that does not work will will finally be made workable to the glory of God. Everything in our souls that does not respond to the will of God will become, through the power of forgiveness and the ministrations of mercy, an instrument of God's peace. The wholeness will be achieved on every level, material, physical, spiritual, 
personal, social. The wholeness will be the wholeness of the entire creation brought to a redeemed finish. Every hour of every day we live is a word or sentence or paragraph of the story that will finally come to this conclusion. It's an astounding set of words he puts together. And I imagine for many of us, there's something in us desperately longing for words like these to actually be true. It takes us no time at all to think of something that is less than whole within us or less than whole in an important relationship. It takes us no time at all to identify some kind of fracture or brokenness in the world or in our nation. But it's words like these that point to the restoration of these things that we so desperately long to be true. They almost seem too good to be true, which is why they're so hard to believe. We hunger for wholeness. And our focus on this third Sunday of Advent is the hope we have for shalom, for wholeness, for peace, because God has come in Jesus Christ and made his dwelling among us. His project of shalom, his project of making all things right and new is well underway. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, the prophet says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. There are many important words in that verse. One of the most important is the word government. The government will be on his shoulders. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. The Prince of Peace has come into this world and his project of shalom is underway. And one day when he comes a second time, he will put the finishing touches on his project of shalom. And this is absolutely really good news for us to contemplate today. We've talked many times over the years about this marvelous vision of shalom or of peace. And it's perhaps easier to think of it this way. Shalom is where God reigns unhindered as king over everything. And when God is reigning unhindered, over everything, or over fill-in-the-blank, then fill-in-the-blank becomes what it was always intended to become. His goodness and wholeness and flourishing cascades from His righteous and just throne. So shalom is about all of creation beginning to function and flourish the way God originally intended from the very beginning. It is just such a beautiful concept. Flourishing and functioning the way God originally intended. There really is no more compelling biblical message than the message of shalom because God's salvation is about restoring people and relationships and cultures and nations and in the language of the New Testament, all of creation to be what God originally intended. And this is why the Bible calls salvation good news. This is why Mary was told to name her newborn Jesus. Because in the words of Matthew, he will save his people from their sins. He will rescue his people from all the rotten their sins create. He will rescue and restore his people from the anti-shalom 
Sin creates. Shalom is peace then for those living in chaos. It is wholeness for those who are broken. It is forgiveness for those who have sinned. It is reconciliation for those who are divided. And when we read passages like Isaiah 9 and verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the prophet is looking forward to a time when we will experience shalom. When we read in Isaiah 11, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. What the prophet is talking about is that when the earth is filled with the knowledge of the Lord, your baby can play next to a rattlesnake. And nothing will happen. We're reading about God's unhindered reign over all things where goodness and wholeness flourishes. No more harm. No more impulse to destroy. No more violence at any level. No more fear. No more brokenness. Shalom. Peace. Brought on and brought forth by Jesus the King. When we read from today's scripture reading, water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground, bubbly springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. I love that phrase. In a broken and fractured and disintegrated world, the air is filled with the sounds of sorrow and with the sounds of sighing. Someone cuts in front of you on the freeway, what happens first? Ugh, sigh. The sounds of sorrow, the sounds of sighing, The sounds of a world that is not the way God intended it to be. One day, sorrow and sighing will be gone for good. We're reading about the shalom to come for the people of Israel living at the time Isaiah wrote. And we're also reading about the shalom to come for the future people of God, including us, when all things are restored to the way God intended them to originally be. This is just Really good news worth pausing over. Shalom translates to our word peace. But it's so much more than just this personal, individual, individual well-being. It's so much more than the absence of conflict, though it includes that. It's so much more than the absence of struggle, though it includes that. Shalom is flourishing for all. It is well-being and wholeness, and flourishing in the details of our thoughts, our marriages, our families, our friendships, social systems, social structures, nations, 
and all of creation. Shalom is everyone and everything functioning and relating the way they were intended to function and relate. If it seems just a little bit too good to be true, I think we're starting to understand what it is. It's a flash flood of God's wholeness and goodness sweeping up everything and everyone in its past. And wherever we look, whether it be in our own lives or in the world as a whole, wherever we look and see a sign of anti-shalom, it will be caught up in this flash flood one day of God's goodness and wholeness. And this is really good news. In fact, it is the good news every soul ultimately longs to experience. But then we come to the second part, the now and not yet part. The part that's probably already in your mind. I get it. It sounds good. It sounds actually like a Hallmark movie around Christmas time. It doesn't sound, however, real. So we talk now and not yet. A giant step toward the realization of this shalom took place 2,000 years ago when the child was born whom Isaiah called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. I just love this. I'm sorry. I love that. It's like the, the kid's laughing at me. Just welcome to the club, son. Many have, many will. Please don't leave. It actually helps me survive. Thank you. The child called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So 2,000 years ago, the Prince of Shalom came to this earth. 2,000 years ago, the Prince of Wholeness put on human flesh. And the angels erupted in song, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Here's that word again. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Shalom to those on whom his favor rests. But when we look perhaps at the details of our own lives or the details of our own key relationships or when we observe for about maybe half a second today's world, we're forced to ask peace, shalom, flourishing, wholeness, where? Shalom is such an extreme contradiction to today's reality where division, fracture, war, anger, brokenness, hate, fear, tension, division, posing, false self, all the rest of it. And countless other expressions of anti-shalom seem to rule the day. So is Advent just another way religious people whistle in the dark? and pretend all is well when it really isn't? Or in the words of one author, choke down suspicions that what we do is not the real world? As we reflect on the good news of Shalom, it is important to acknowledge that the trend seems to be more toward anti-wholeness and anti-flourishing. The vision of Shalom we read about in the Bible is tempered, severely tempered, by the reality of anti-shalom we see every day of our lives. And so we must remember there's always a now and not yet aspect to God's promises of healing and restoration and wholeness. 
There's a part of it that we experience now, however incomplete, and there's another part of it that is not yet. It is to come later. And so we pray for shalom to come. And we work to bring forth God's shalom in whatever situation. And in some instances it comes, but it comes slowly and it comes partially and later it will come fully. The Israelites suffered as slaves at the hands of the Egyptians for 400 years. Think that through for a second. 400 years in slavery. All the while, probably every day, many times a day, People crying out to God, begging Him to deliver them. People getting together and asking each other, when will we be delivered? People getting together with priests and other religious leaders of the community and saying, how can this happen? When will God deliver us? 400 years this lasted. Certainly His presence sustained them in the many hours and days and months and years of their suffering. The now... But their full deliverance took 400 years. The not yet. Isaiah gave words of hope to people who were suffering at the hands of the Assyrians and later would suffer at the hands of the Babylonians. And when the Babylonians finally invaded and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, many of the Israelites were carried off into exile in this faraway Babylonian land. And they walked through the desert, leaving their homeland, and leaving what they thought was the untouchable city. Hence this language about the desert will become a pool of water, the wilderness will burst forth with bloom, and you'll walk back on a highway, and God will be with you, and the redeemed will celebrate. He's referring to that day when they will return from Babylonian captivity. Certainly God's promises sustain them in the moments of their suffering, the now But their deliverance, ultimately, was many years away. The not yet. Such an important part of being the people of God, living in the delight of His shalom. And the failure to acknowledge this now and not yet aspect of God's promise of shalom will either cause us to pretend things are better than they are and pretend things are healed when they aren't, sort of put our head in the sand kind of a thing and spout off religious platitudes to try to address the heartache and the sadness of this world or the failure to acknowledge this now and not yet aspect will cause us to cynically dismiss shalom as religious wishful thinking ungrounded in the harsh reality of this cold world. Many of you have inquired about the state of my back. This has been a four and a half year adventure for me. I appreciate the concern many of you have uh, demonstrated. Many of you, some months ago, began to pray specifically for healing. And I have to say, last June, something happened. Partially, perhaps, explainable by changes in this or that part of my life, but not fully explainable by those things. And I actually believe God did some restoration and some healing through your prayers and through the other things that I did. Then more recently, my back went backwards again. And then over the past couple of weeks, it's improved again. So think of it this way. Shalom in my lower back has come compared to the previous four and a half years, the now, but it's not come fully. 
But one day it will fully come when God finally establishes a world where spinal stenosis no longer exists. There's the not yet. So I've begun to actually think of this as, this is the, the reality of the curse is in my lower back. The reality that this is a broken world springs up many times throughout the day. The reality of this broken world is evident in the fact that this trusty stool is next to me in case I get a little worn out standing. But one day, the not yet, all will be well. Over the past few years, I've spent a fair amount of time in San Francisco, driving the streets of San Francisco, walking the streets of San Francisco, and many of the streets of San Francisco are tragic, heartbreaking encounter with the homeless, people who have illnesses, mental illness, deep loneliness, an overall sense of meaninglessness, and just outright Brokenness. The streets of San Francisco are a vivid illustration of the anti-shalom so deeply rooted in this world. And I've had conversations with friends, some down there, some up here, about the situation in San Francisco. And it's been interesting to me, a little troubling actually, to hear all sorts of aggressive opinions about the conditions in San Francisco. Sometimes the way people react to these situations in San Francisco, I'm left wondering if they think that the people who are suffering these things are actually people any longer. A vivid display of anti-shalom. Shalom comes in the now to the people living on the streets of San Francisco in the form of a warm place to sleep and a hot meal today or tonight. But it will one day fully come When these kinds of things are no longer part of a world under God, when he's in charge of the government, God, homelessness and brokenness and loneliness and meaninglessness will no longer exist. It's just good for us to admit this. This beautiful vision of shalom sure seems to take a long time to arrive. When you think of your own circumstances, This vision of shalom, the promise of God's goodness and wholeness, often seems like it takes a very long time to arrive. The vision of wholeness is there. The desire to experience it is there. The hope it is coming is there. But the process is slow. And God usually moves rather slowly, both at the macro level of society, at the macro level of the world, and at the micro level of our individual lives and relationships. Shalom creeps, we might say. It takes time for shalom to spread. It takes lots of time, and there are both seen and unseen forces fighting against the spread of shalom. There are both seen and unseen forces working against wholeness and goodness. So it is a slow crawl from chaos to peace, from disorder to order, from brokenness to wholeness, from struggle to flourishing. And here's the thing. Your real vocation and my real vocation right now, today, in the actual lives we're actually living 
is to be agents and ambassadors of shalom in the real situations of our everyday lives. This is what living on mission actually means. It means you and I going into the daily experiences of our lives, bringing the message of shalom, the possibility of renewal and restoration and forgiveness and healing, and working with God to bring forth the reality of shalom in the ordinary and everyday spaces we inhabit. Doing what we can to bring about God's goodness and wholeness in the situations of everyday life. This is our real work. This is your real vocation. This is what you're ultimately here to do. And so am I. We co-labor with God in bringing about His peace on his earth. This past week, and signs of anti-shalom are beginning to rise up in me, so I'm going to have to go to this. This past week, I met the owners of a new business at the half-built building where their business will eventually be. I actually got to wear a hard hat when I went to this place. This building's being constructed. There's construction workers all over the place. And I had a hard hat on. Now, in the first service, I made the mistake of referring to it as a construction helmet. And these very arrogant and unformed people came up to me after the service to tell me it's not a construction helmet. It's not a football helmet you wear on a construction site. It's a hard hat. So today, now, this service, I'll call it the pompous hard hat. So I had a hard hat on. And we spent about 75 minutes walking through this unfinished building, stopping at various points along the way to talk about what would be happening eventually in that space at that business. And then one of the owners wrote a scripture verse on the unfinished wall at about six different places in this unfinished building and then read the scripture verse out loud And then we prayed the promise of that scripture to become a reality in that place of business. I got to tell you, it was an unbelievably incredible experience. Felt like I was out on the front line of kingdom work. Because the real work of that business, and the owners know this, is to cooperate with Jesus Christ in bringing his goodness and his wholeness to the customers who frequent the business. So their vocation is not to be an entrepreneur. Their vocation is not to be a business owner. Their vocation is to be an ambassador and an agent of shalom in this world. And their particular privilege is to get to do that through owning a business. My vocation is not to be a pastor of a church. My vocation is not to lead a church. My vocation is not to, quote-unquote, run a church. My vocation is to be an ambassador and an agent of God's shalom, and I get to do that by being a pastor at a church. Your vocation is to be an agent and an ambassador of shalom wherever you go, And whatever you do, there is no job outside the tent 
of this vocation of being a shalom ambassador. Every job, every calling, everything we do in the course of a week is happens under this broad banner of my vocation is to be an ambassador of shalom and I get to do it by working at Intel and I get to do it by teaching school and I get to do it by being a therapist and I get to do it by staying home and raising children and so on. Lastly, let's talk about hope. Sometimes we think we know people or we kind of see them from a distance, we observe them from a distance. We don't really know them but we've seen them in different settings. We've watched them come and go. And we draw conclusions about them based on our distant and detached observations. And from a distance, they seem to be doing fine. Life appears to be quite good. But as we get closer and maybe hear a bit or a piece of their story, we may discover they are not actually as fine as we first thought. And life is not nearly as good as it first appeared. I had an experience with this many years ago. Don't ask me why this stuck in my soul. It just did from the moment it happened. We were at a back-to-school night when one of our kids was in elementary school. And the kids are showing us their thing. Julie and I are walking around. For some reason, I saw this couple across the classroom. And for whatever reason, instantly I thought, they've got a great relationship. Don't ask me why, I have no idea. They kind of had that, uh, you know, really looked the part, looked almost perfect, maybe like 97.5% of perfect is what they looked. And it just landed on me that they've got a great relationship. As these things sometimes go, a few years later, one of them moved into our neighborhood, and they were divorced from this almost perfect relationship I thought they had. One of the most important and powerful facts of these weekend gatherings is that every single one of us has a story. It's an ongoing story. It's continuing to be written. And God wants to redeem and heal and restore our stories. He doesn't usually do so with the wave of a wand or with the snap of a finger. As we know, it takes time. It's a process, usually, of stumbling forward. But God wants us to experience shalom in the real situations of our lives and stories. And as we step back and think about this, every last one of us has a story. Every last one of us has reasons why we are the way we are and reasons why we feel what we feel in certain situations. These things did not just pop up out of nowhere. They've been formed and fashioned and developed through the histories of our lives. And here's something I want us to reflect on. God can heal every single syllable, word, and sentence of our story, no matter how ugly or dark or painful it may be. I hope we can believe this. Or at least I hope we want to someday believe this. God can heal every single syllable, word, and sentence of our story. Probably not all at once, but his shalom, his peace, his goodness can come into our brokenness. And in the language of our scripture reading, bring forth blossom and bloom in our wilderness. One of the things to think about with regard to where is the anti-shalom 
in our lives. Think of it as wilderness. And these words from Isaiah 5, he can bring forth blossom and bloom in our wilderness. So there is always reason to hope and to keep hoping. One of the great privileges I have as a pastor of this church is to be invited into your stories. From my perspective, the sacred ground of pastoral ministry is not standing up and talking as if you know what you're talking about. It is interacting with someone before a service or after a service or at a coffee shop during the week or in my office during the week or at their business during the week and being invited into their sacred story. You might be surprised how many times in this very room prior to a service I will see somebody and say something like, so how's it going? And that quickly, they're bringing me into their story of heartache and pain and difficulty and the events that happened just this past week that have chopped their legs out from underneath them. I want us to hear this again. There is no past pain. There is no present hardship beyond the reach of God's shalom. So there is always reason to hope and to keep hoping. In Isaiah chapter 43, the prophet said to a group of fearful people, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Talk about a good word for people like us who are seeking God's hand in our own story. Do not dwell on the past, on what was, on what happened. God is making a new way. You probably know this about me. I like to focus on the past. I often look back into my past. I often think about what shaped me from way back when, the parts of my story that were hard and hurtful and broken and how it formed me to be who I am today. And I absolutely love this phrase, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. I'm making a new way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. There's always reason to hope and to keep hoping. In our scripture reading, Isaiah said, Your God will come. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 5, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John the Baptist what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Isaiah said, Shalom is going to come. And in the advent of Jesus, the Shalom project has escalated to a new level because Jesus' healing of people is Jesus making things right. In Matthew 15 and verse 30, we read, Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. What is that? It is the outbreak of shalom. It is the inbreaking of shalom. It is this new chapter in redemption history where because Jesus has come in the flesh, shalom is breaking out at a new level bringing healing and restoration and goodness to those who are hurting in their everyday lives. So there is always reason to hope 
and to keep hoping. We have a phrase in our candlelight Christmas Eve liturgy. We say it many times. All of history converges in Christ and everything changes in the light of his coming. Would you close your eyes and pray with me, please? I want to return to what we started with. What bit of brokenness, what piece of pain, what present struggle, what past heartache do you need to bring and lay at Jesus' feet today that he might heal it? Every tragedy that we experience will finally become a triumph. Every deficiency in our ability to see or hear or walk or speak will be cured by grace. Everything in our bodies that does not work will finally be made workable to the glory of God. Everything in our souls that does not respond to the will of God will become through the power of forgiveness and the ministrations of mercy an instrument of God's peace. The wholeness will be achieved on every level, material, physical, spiritual, personal, social. The wholeness will be the wholeness of the entire creation brought to a redeemed finish. Every hour of every day we live is a word or sentence or paragraph of the story that will finally come to this conclusion. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this promise of shalom, this promise of wholeness, this promise of goodness that will make its way into every nook and cranny of this creation. We're grateful that this is your word, that this is your truth, and it is in these words we find our hope. And we pray that in our lives where there is brokenness, where there is pain, where there is anti-shalom, that you would bring your healing power, that you would restore and renew and make right. And we pray that as we live in this world, at our jobs, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and as we just simply do our lives in this community, that we might be agents and ambassadors of this beautiful thing called shalom. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.